Raised by Spirit, Chapter 4 Growing Through Grief and Reconnecting to Spirit There was one beacon of light during such a dark time for my mother, and that was Jeremy. Jeremy was the light of her life and the only thing that made her smile after my father passed away. They were very close, and when Jonathan was born, they became her reason for living. But as they grew older in time, she began to close herself off and go back to her Bible studies, Jimmy Swaggart, and her painkillers. However, this particular relapse would be 10 times worse than before. Because my mom experienced all the things I've shared thus far, she truly did hold the belief that my father's passing at 53 years old was a punishment for not spreading God's word. You might be wondering, why would she think that? and no one could understand for many years later. So after my father's passing, there wasn't many conversations that would be held with my mother without her trying to spread what she thought God's word was. But it wasn't God's word, because everything was the devil. Everyone was dumb or an idiot, and more and more people were out to get her. More and more people were evil. This was a huge problem seeing as she was still living with myself, someone that could talk to the dead, and my husband, someone who claimed to be an atheist, not wanting anything to do with organized religion or spirituality. It literally doesn't get more controversial than that. What my husband and I believed in was something that was rarely discussed. It didn't need to be discussed. It was a personal option. And when it came to how we chose to raise our children, we wanted to allow them to make their own decisions based off their own experiences. So if they chose to believe in a religious practice, that was fine. And if they chose not to, that was also fine. It was their path to figure out, and we loved them without condition. Unfortunately, her consistent judgment and false word was falling upon the young ears of my children, and they didn't need that contradicting internal conflict presented in their life. There were countless arguments filled with damnation and judgment towards myself and my husband from my mother because of our differences in belief systems. We didn't want to argue with her, but it always ended in an argument, and it wasn't healthy. My sister throughout this time kept her communication with my mother to an absolute minimum, and this was fine and agreed upon between us. I could tolerate my mom more than my sister could at the time, plus my sister had her own shit to deal with. With her womanizing husband at the time and the loss of her father, she didn't need any extra. Eventually my mom moved out, but not too far. She literally moved right next door. In a lot of ways this was good and took the pressure off of our differences and ways of living. In other ways, it was not so good. Remember how I said my mom was never good with money? She ended up receiving money from my father's 401k and pension plans and secretly donated more than half of it to Jimmy Swaggart's church, never telling myself or my sister. She was convinced that living a poor life and going without and preaching God's word was her way to get into heaven. This was more important than anything to her at this point because she wanted nothing more than to be reunited with the love of her life. If it wasn't for all the information and guidance that I had received throughout my life up until this point, I don't think I would be able to fully understand why she did all the things she did. I would be more likely to judge her. But again, it's not our job to judge another's journey, and we can only do the best with what cards we are dealt. In all fairness, we are indeed responsible for making an educated decision based off the cards to which we do have in front of us. Most of the time, the best choice is the more difficult choice, but that difficult choice tends to hold the most reward.
About a year after my father passed was when I realized my mother had started taking painkillers again. I don't know how she met half the people she did, but I do know she was still on the do not prescribe list for painkillers. Yet somehow she managed to find somebody that she could buy hydrocodones off of on the street. Luckily, I was outside when this particular person showed up to give her her hydros. I quickly realized what was going on walked up to the car door where the girl sat inside, leaned over, got right in her face, and quietly said, give my mother whatever it is you came here for, and don't ever let me catch you near her again. If you're curious what the outcome of that may be, go ahead, you'll find out. Needless to say, I never saw that particular woman again, and I swear it wasn't me talking. I swear my father was channeling through me because of the following things that came out of my mouth. I walked over to my mother and told her that she can't just go buying pills off of somebody on the street, that she was going to get herself into something that I wouldn't be able to get her out of. That statement in of itself proved to me that it was indeed my father coming through speaking through me, and it also validated that he did have some type of connection and was able to keep her out of jail. Again, that statement made her real that I was serious and she knew that if she continued to do this she would have to do it in secret because I would not allow it and she did for a total of 36 years of her life she struggled with a painkiller addiction but the 17 years that followed after my father's passing formed an addiction that was not stemming from the need to deal with physical pain like before it was stemming from a need to avoid an emotional pain that no one or nothing was going to be able to heal it started with buying the hydros off of random people and at some point when things became more and more digital somehow she was removed from the do not prescribe list she eventually convinced her doctor to of her hydros and later from the encouragement of her own brother oxycodones but again we'll get there the years that followed after experiencing two great losses and two great blessings my husband and i had moved a few times finally rooting ourselves in a country-like setting with the school district we wanted our children to go to my husband was no longer drinking and working with an established construction company and i was working full-time at a well-established corporate company both which paid very well so finally our finances were going in the right direction my mom would babysit the kids while my husband and i worked and the religious arguments weren't as consistent essentially my my husband and I learned how to navigate and avoid them even being brought up or escalating to an argument. However, throughout this time we had to continuously ask my mother to keep her beliefs to herself because we wanted our children to choose their own path. Generally speaking, she did not. It was around this time my sister decided she was no longer going to stay in the shit show of her marriage, so she moved in with us temporarily until she could get a place of her own for her and her son. It was my father and John that took the lead in spiritual communication in these years. To my surprise, it wasn't the same as Maggie or Orion or Cora. John came through in dreams, but my dad would give me every possible sign that you could possibly think of. Numbers, birds, all kinds of different synchronicities. It was like he would hand me one puzzle piece at a time, making everything more confusing. I didn't understand at the time why my dad couldn't just come through for me the same way I was used to, why he had to give me what seemed like riddles. I remember at one point my mom said one night she sat up in bed and she could see my father sitting on the bed next to her. He was transparent and he looked like he was beaming of light, she said. Like I said before, it's never the same once a loved one leaves the mind-body-spirit experience. Of course we still want to hug them, talk to them, have all those physical experiences with them. That is the grief we endure growing through such a loss. We grieve the loss of the physical experience because our souls and the connection between two souls never dies. Still, why couldn't my father guide me the way I was used to? 
in a way I could understand. I remember trying to follow the synchronicities my father was giving me, never seeming to fully understand the messages. Again, it was like he spoke in riddles, and it was so frustrating. All while I was working full-time at a job everybody said I should be happy in, but I wasn't. And I was trying to raise two little boys, one who had serious asthma and health problems. My husband would get extremely sick every single year like clockwork, and I was being driven by fear and survival. The possibility that I could lose my son to his illness or my husband due to his stubbornness to go to the doctors like my father was overwhelming to say the least. It was like running on a hamster wheel and getting nowhere. I was growing to be extremely miserable and that misery was overflowing and spreading like a disease into every single relationship that I held in every area of my life. Though my sister did not live with us long, it wasn't too long after that she moved out and we moved my husband's mother into the house. Naturally, that misery I was living didn't take long to spread towards my relationship with my mother-in-law it was just one thing after another. My intuition was clouded by emotions of unhappiness, and because of that, for the first time in my life, I felt disconnected. The reality was, I was indeed disconnected from my intuitive guidance. This was a part of the design, though. This experience held a very important lesson that I now understand. Because unhappiness, fear, and survival mentality is one sure way to disconnect yourself from understanding your intuitive guidance. Again, I was living the life everyone said I should live. Working the job society said you should have because the money it provided makes you happy and makes things better, right? Definitely not. Nonetheless, somehow throughout the years, I stopped doing what I was guided to do, and I started doing all the things I was expected to do. Every day, I got up and continued this day-in, day-out routine like a robot, all while feeling like I was dying on the inside. Because I was. One night, after about two years of running on this same hamster wheel and getting absolutely nowhere, I had a dream of John. In the dream, John, my husband, and myself were all sitting at a bar. John sat in between my husband and I. Now during the dream, I was observing everything from an outside standpoint, meaning I could see myself during certain parts of the dream like an observer, but I was crying. And my husband was on the other side of John, drinking and pissed off. John just looked at me dead in my soul and said, why are you relying on everyone else to make you happy? You're the only one that's responsible for your own happiness. And that was it. I woke up. Except when I woke up, I knew he was right. I knew that I couldn't keep living my life for everyone else to accommodate to everyone else. I knew from my grandmother's stories, my father's stories, and all that I had grown through that yes, I was indeed responsible for my own happiness. It was that day everything clicked back as it was supposed to. Reconnection and spiritual communication began to slowly return because I made the choice to be the creation of my own happiness, even if nobody else understood. Now granted, I wasn't quite sure at that point exactly what was going to make me happy. However, I was going to return to doing what I was guided to do. So I dove back into researching the science of the mind, psychology, different religious texts, literally anything I could get my hands on. Mind you, some of the reading material I was presented literally showed up on my doorstep after that. Still working in corporate America, Shortly after this visitation and realization, one day I woke up to find a box full of books on my front porch. My sister had dropped off a box of books, all of which were by Sylvia Brown. As I stated before to many people, many times, I always liked Sylvia Brown, and my sister knew this. I would literally watch her as a child every Wednesday on Montel Williams and found her extremely genuine and authentic. So I read every single book in that box. 
I took them to work with me. I could have cared less what my job was at that point. Work became my quiet time in order for me to be able to read and research. I had absolutely zero desire to continue trying to strive for a life within corporate America that was never going to make me happy anyways. It was in Sylvia Brown's book, To the Other Side and Back, where she spoke of Mother God. Now this was a new concept to me, believe it or not. Growing up, God was always a man, right? Like I said before, going to church with my grandmother wasn't about what they were teaching. It was about the music and spending time with her. I didn't learn the Bible front to back like most people did, especially my mother. There were two occurrences that were profound within this period of time. For the record, I was reading several books at the time. So, now that I think of it, I'm not quite sure if both of these techniques Sylvia mentioned were in the book To the Other Side and Back, or if they were in another book. Nonetheless, that is one of the most helpful books I think she ever wrote, and I highly recommend you read it. So when I was reading the book and Sylvia was talking about making connections with Mother God, she suggested to ask Mother God for a gift. So I tested the theory, as usual, right? I remember saying something along the lines of, if there is a female counterpart to God, then I want a red rose in 10 days. Seeing as my father spoke to me in riddles, this technique of asking for something specific and giving a specific time frame was something I learned how to do after his passing. I just never thought to ask Mother God or God in general. Here's a good example. Months before I got these books, when I felt extremely disconnected, I was walking into Walmart one day with my husband. And I don't quite remember why I was so upset or what I was upset about, but I was literally crying. I said out loud while walking with my husband, Daddy, if you know what's going on and you hear me, I want five pennies dated 1977, all heads up, and I want to find them in 24 hours. So get to it. I was quite demanding, and to my surprise, as I cashed out of Walmart on the way to exit the store, I found all five pennies I requested, all dated 1977, and all of them were heads up. I literally still have them to this day. So whatever it was at that point in time that had me so upset, his unwavering ability to at the very least let me know he was there comforted me. But also, this was a required process of me learning a different form of communication than I was used to, and it took time for me to realize this. So going back at the time when I requested the red rose within 10 days from God's female counterpart, my mother-in-law was still living with us. Upon continuing to read all these different books at the same time, there was also a story of Sylvia Brown where she was doing a past life regression. One of her clients was having an extremely difficult time with her mother-in-law. When Sylvia assisted in the past life regression, they found out that the daughter-in-law and mother-in-law were actually best friends on the other side, and they decided within their contract to incarnate as a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law, so that this time around they could learn patience, tolerance, and understanding through opposing positions. When the daughter-in-law realized this after her regression, it changed her entire perspective on the relationship she held with her mother-in-law. The story went on to say that her mother-in-law didn't change much of her ways, but with the new perspective her daughter-in-law had, she understood why, and it actually restored and saved their relationship. I want to say that it was the same day I read this story, but I could be wrong. Nonetheless, right around this time, I did receive my red rose on the 10th day as I requested, and it was from my mother-in-law of all people. The riddles, the synchronicities, number repetition, symbology, and requested items, and everything else was a part of me understanding different forms of communication and validation from loved ones on the other side. All of which was designed for me to experience in order to teach said techniques to other people 
as they have to grow through their own grief and loss too, in order for them to restore their faith and connection to the other side. This experience also helped me realize I needed to explain my behavior and bitchiness to my mother-in-law, not to justify my behavior, but to explain to her that my behavior that I had been creating with her was my own doing and that I loved her and I was sorry if I ever made her feel any different because I needed to restore balance. That following winter, my husband, like clockwork, came down with another physical ailment. Initially, we thought it was just a splinter, but within a week's time, this small irritation manifested into his hand swelling 10 times the normal size. I tried to convince him throughout the week to go to the ER, but he refused. He kept saying, oh, it'll go away, but it didn't. And by the seventh day, his hand turned purple and looked like a fucking marshmallow. So at this point was when he finally agreed to go to the ER. When we arrived there, his blood pressure and heart rate was off the charts to the point they were like, how are you functioning? They ended up doing all kinds of tests, but still they had no idea what was wrong with his hand. They did x-rays, they did CT scans, they did the works and nothing showed up suggesting something was causing his hand to react in such a way. The next day after they admitted him, they did surgery to open up and drain this mysterious infection. They said, well, we'll send you home, but you have to come back to the doctor's office tomorrow and every day thereafter to drain it and allow it to heal from the inside out. Now I'm going to spare you the details, but I will tell you that this is the most barbaric thing I have ever seen done. Sure, there's other barbaric things out there that they do, but this was as barbaric as I could tolerate. I tried to sit in the room with him, but I could not bear to witness this. There was no numbing. There was no painkillers. Nothing. They could have at least given him a shot of whiskey and something to bite down on, but no. They just said, sit tight, this is gonna hurt, and then ripped open a fresh wound. Completely barbaric. The days that followed after his surgery, his hand had been drained twice now, and we still had no answers. Now, my husband has an extremely high pain tolerance, but by the second time they ripped his hand open, I remember him saying, I just can't do this. And I wanted so badly to help him, but I didn't know how. So that night, when everyone in the house was settled and in bed, I heard, go get your blanket. So I did. So as I was feeling like there were no other options, I got my grandmother's blanket out and laid down and I just prayed and cried myself practically to sleep, only to be startled by my grandmother saying, say thank you. Now this was very different from the way I was used to hearing her. The best way I can explain this is I usually hear her voice in my head and I didn't see her, but this time I heard her outside like you hear my voice right now and I saw her standing outside my bedroom door. When I sat up to see her standing there, she just as quickly disappeared. So I laid back down, only for her to say it again. But this time, she had a sternness in her voice as to say, you better fucking listen. And I mean, my grandmother was big on manners, but I didn't quite understand what I had to say thank you for. Regardless, I did what I was told. I said thank you. And just like that, a calmness came over me that is really indescribable and I just went to sleep. So the next day, as we drive to the doctors, I told my husband what happened and he listened as usual, but that was about the extent of the conversation. I stayed in the car as he went in so they could drain his hand again. He returned back to the car about 30 minutes later, got in, sat down and said, 
I don't have to come back. Immediately, I question what the fuck happened. My husband goes on to tell me that there was a cyst the size of a silver dollar that came out of his hand, baffling the nurses and the doctors because that should have shown up on all the tests they had ran days before. They said it was impossible for something that large to grow like that overnight. It didn't make any sense to them. I didn't say a word. I just looked at my husband and I said, say thank you. And he did. Now, winter's were always difficult for Jeremy with colds circulating around and he hadn't yet been able to balance out his asthma. He was on albuterol, breathing treatments, but nothing worked permanently. And after this situation with my husband's hand had occurred, I remember a prayer in Sylvia Brown's book. The prayer was designed to help somebody release a past life trauma. So I decided that I was going to call upon my spiritual team, Mother God and Father God, and use my grandmother's magical blanket in effort to help Jeremy overcome his trauma from this past life. After all, what's the point of knowing that his birthmark was associated to a past life and a connection to his current life filled with asthma attacks if I wasn't able to help? I didn't know if any of this was going to work, but I was definitely willing to try. I mean, I had researched the power of prayer and manifestation and the power that you give your beliefs. I knew it was possible. I knew that the cellular memory and genetic makeup within our body holds all things. So with those two possibilities and theories, I had to try. The instructions were to say this prayer every night for 30 nights as your child slept, so that every night it would sink into their subconscious mind. So for 30 nights, every night when Jeremy went to bed, I asked him if he wanted to sleep with his great grandmother's blanket. And of course he said yes. And once he was asleep, I whispered the following in his ear. My dearest child, I am blessed you have chosen me as your mother, teacher, guide, and your source of unconditional love during this lifetime. As your chosen caretaker, I vow to be the nurturer of your soul, to keep you safe, healthy, happy, and to be supportive of all your hopes and dreams. I promise to help you keep your connection to the divine source that we all come from, and I ask that you keep the joy, wisdom, the happiness, the lessons, and the advancements of your previous lives. And I affirm that any sorrow, any fear, any illness, harm, hatred, or negativity of any kind that you might be holding on to unnecessarily be released to our Creator to be transformed and dissolved for all time. Thank you. Amen. Again, I did this every night for 30 nights without fail. And needless to say, he has never had another asthma attack since, but his birthmark still remained for now.